both the AGCO and iGaming have listened. We have plans through the end of 2023. I would presume that anything that comes out would give some time for everyone to get compliant. So we haven't started any production on anything 2024 that would be in the realm of ambassadors or people that appeal to minors. Hello again, and welcome back to the Gaming News Canada Show podcast presented by Osler, Hoskin, and Harcourt LLP. And yes, I remain your host, Steve McAllister. It is Friday, August 18th, which means the Canadian National Exhibition in Toronto begins today, and the start of the Labor Day weekend is only two weeks away. So, summer's almost over, and soon to be back to business as usual. The Gaming News Canada Show took a break from LinkedIn Audio over the summer, in part to give our regular contributors a breather. But as we mentioned in Thursday's newsletter, we're bringing the band back together. So please welcome back Amanda Brewer, the Canadian Country Manager for Kinder Group, Nick Salski, the Chief Commercial Officer for Points Bet Canada, and last but most definitely not least, Chris Abbott, the Canadian Country Manager for Caves and Gaming. Um, we have a fair bit of real estate to cover, folks, and not much time to, to do so, but uh, in true Canadian polite fashion, Amanda, how's your summer been? My summer actually has been uh, great. It's been busy. Um, I don't remember a summer that hasn't been busy since this market opened. And we seem to have a, a regulator uh, and a subsidiary, that regulator that like to issue all kinds of updates and changes during the summer. So <laughs> it's been good to be around to catch everything. But no, I can't complain. Uh, Nick? Well, I mean, on the business side, I mean, nothing big in the points bet world happened before the, the just at the beginning of summer or anything like that. So, you know, it's been, it's been, it's been, it's been busy getting ready for the fall, dealing with, uh, you know, the, the, the fanatics acquisition of our U.S. business and, and leaning in and working a lot more closely with our Australian colleagues, which is super exciting. Um, and then on personal front, it's been a great summer. Chris. It's been a good summer as well. You know, doing a little traveling, went back home to Newfoundland to see some family. Um, and, and the highlight for me this summer so far, we went to New York a couple of weeks ago. We did a two-day Metallica concert saw the Yankees and the Astros twice, and then I experienced my first Major League Baseball rain delay at City Field on the Monday night against the Cubs, which was actually awesome. We should have more rain delays in Toronto because we just spent two hours in the bar and then went back to the game, so that was, that was pretty cool. That sounds, that, that, that sounds great, everybody. Um, so let's, uh, you know, the big story that doesn't go away in this market, obviously the, uh, the advertising standards uh, for the industry, and uh, no words still from the alcohol uh, gaming uh, gaming commission, um, and we do know we're still waiting. Tom Mungin said to retire as registrar and CEO next uh, next month. Uh, still waiting for his replacement to be be named. Uh, Chris, let's start with you. Like, have you heard anything at all on the advertising standards front? Nope, just some more hurry up and wait. Um, which for us, I think you know it's okay. Um, we have plans through the end of 2023. I would presume that anything that comes out would give some time for everyone to get compliant. Um, so we haven't started any production on on to anything 2024 that that would be in the realm of ambassadors or people that have appeal to minors. So I suppose when you're when you're talking about a long term planning, it holds you up a little bit. But um, we're taking a conservative approach. We're waiting to see what it is. We're happy to play within the rules once they're um, once they're they're um, dictated to us. So um, I do think that both the AGCO and iGaming have have listened to, especially given the RG guidance that came out this week. So um, yeah, we're, um, we're we're holding steady. Yeah, Amanda. 
Yeah, much like what Chris said, it's uh, sort of, we knew that things got pulled. Um, we knew that, you know, the original AGCO plan was just to put out the standards as they had initially been released without any changes. Um, and then they got pulled. So knowing with uh, Tom's departure being imminent and a new CEO being appointed any day now, maybe early next week, um, then we need to wait for that person to come in, uh, get comfortable, uh, and then I expect the standards will come out. Whether that happens in time for anyone's fall advertising, sportsbook advertising, uh, probably not. Um, but my sense is if we're looking at any changes, you know, you know, if I were a betting woman, active athletes, I think are still going to be in play to come off. Um, but that will probably be with a bit of a lead time so that, you know, contracts can get wrapped up and, you know, there'll be ample opportunity for operators to find, you know, other people, other ways, you know, to fill that. So that's kind of, if I was looking for a way for this to play out over the next several weeks and months, that would, that would be my, my bet. And Nick, I got a couple of questions for you on this, on this issue. Again, one, you know, wearing your hat as chief commercial officer at PointsBet, I mean, you're, you're the guy in the middle of partnership deals and ambassador deals. Is this, you know, kind of the delay, has it tied your hands at all? And, and what's been your approach to what's going on here? I mean, that's, it's, it's a really good question. And, and to answer it, would I say tie our hands? No, I think in, in subsequent conversations, um, contractually, we're just needing to insert additional language to help protect us in the eventuality. And, you know, Chris, Chris said presumed. Who knows? Right. I mean, the reality is the 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 big um, contentious moments around the 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 iGaming advertising world started around the NHL playoffs. So. You know, I'm actually under the assumption that if the regs, if the new regs drop in the next, call it three or four weeks, they might, they might, they might state the beginning of the hockey season as being the time where they want to see these new regs take shape. Um, I think that there's also a chance. I know in the initial draft, from what we all understand, there wasn't any restrictions around the amount of advertising that's going to be permissible per live broadcast event perhaps that does get rolled in but now we all know the media companies are going through their sales process right now so how is that going to be taking consideration i think that um it, it's it's added more work on the legal and on the kind of conversational side um but i think it's inevitability that there are going to be the new standards dropping i just hope that um I hope that the timeline is realistic because I don't think necessarily that the AGCO understands the complexity of how a lot of these partnership deals and sales sales structures work, right? So that that's my biggest concern is it's not just that they're going to change things, but they're also going to add a heck of a lot more work onto all of us to help detangle some of these realities. Yeah. I think it also takes time, you know, Nick, on top of that, you've got to get um, new things produced, you've got to get it cleared by Think TV, and this all takes time, right? Um, so to your point about, um, you know, we'll talk about the sports stations, for, for Sportsnet and TSN to sell inventory and then, you know, 
the operator not being able to show what they plan to show and what they why they paid a certain price and yada yada yada. So yeah, it's a lot more complex than saying you can or cannot have these people in your advertising. The conversations that I've had this summer too, folks, is that uh, you know the Doug the Doug Ford government's become very involved in this uh, in this issue, and if that's the case, that's that's another red red flag for the industry, I would think, because the Ford government's dealing with uh, <laughs> has a lot on their on their plate right now. But if uh, you know, hopefully for the industry's sake, uh, we're all right that uh, when when the new AGCO CEO does get announced, that that'll be a catalyst to get these new standards put in place. Because everybody said here, it's gonna it's gonna take some time to uh, uh, to to execute on that on that strategy moving forward. Um, Nick, I know you've been you've been a bit of a dog on a on a bone, um, or uh, you know, as has Amanda and Chris. But you know, it's funny. I was watching the National on on CBC News Network last night, and CBC's coverage of the the gambling industry has been you know fairly. I think it's fair to say fairly critical um, over the last uh, eighteen months or so. And I was quite surprised to see a bow dog ad ad pop up, and um, you know, obviously. Amanda, we've we've talked about this off offline before and exchange emails. And Nick, you've been very vocal about it on on this uh, on this forum. Um, but again, is that you know just it almost appears to be a bit of ignorance out there about how this industry works and what's what's legal and and not legal. But anyway, I'll I'll let the uh, I'll let the panel weigh in on this. And Nick, I'll start with you. The dog with a bone. Nice, nice, nice pun, Steve. That was. Yeah, I think you have a future in in writing, sir. <laughs> no, the the reality. We'll, we'll, we'll call it out. I mean, the reality that Bodog is still advertising under the .NET umbrella is literally the single thing that drives me the most crazy. I understand a lot of things, and I understand that um, .NET advertising is permissible on a federal level, and I guess that's regulated through the the CRTC. Um, I guess. Um, but the fact that Think TV, the fact that uh, the media companies are still happy to take .NET advertising from Bodog, which is a black market operator in Ontario, while other provinces are still, you know, considering um, regulation in one way, shape or form. Obviously, the quarter of a billion dollars of tax revenue that's been generated into Ontario, not to mention the consumer, the significant consumer protections, the folks on responsible gambling. Bodog, yes, these are .NET ads, but give me a break. Like, honestly, it the hypocrisy um, is unbelievable to me. And I really, really hope, and I don't think it's going to happen, but I really hope that when the new marketing standards come out, there is some sort of at least um, acknowledgement of .NET, at least in Ontario, because this is, I, I just, I can't, I, I honestly, I can't wrap my head around it. It's so blatant to me, but we're on the inside of this. So I, I don't know. Right. Amanda? Yeah, I agree with everything Nick said. And I used to work for CBC. They were my former employer. So I feel very justified. I mean, this is the same organization that many years ago uh, reprimanded Sukyun Lee for having a little bit of nudity in a, in a film she was on that gave Don Cherry a seven second delay. I was working for them at that time, but sure, help perpetuate all the issues that CBC has been so critical, so ill-informed, 
you know, so biased against the licensed operators, you know, who are all following the RG standards, who are all following the advertising and marketing standards, but they'll take the money from Bodog, who has no license and is blatantly and flagrantly flaunting it in the faces of everyone in this market. So I would be really happy if collectively this entire industry stopped advertising with CBC and giving CBC comment. They want to go talk to someone, they can go interview Bodog. You know, it's, it's, it's absolute hypocrisy and you hit the nail right on the head with that, Nick. Yeah, Chris? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, Nick and Amanda have pretty much said everything. I mean, uh, I think hypocrisy is a good one. Uh, you know, we put in a commercial to Think TV who comes back and says this woman's haircut, you know, before she uses your product looks different than when she uses your product. So it's improving her lifestyle. Uh, so you can't run that. And then, uh, you know, but but we'll just we'll pass all this through. Um, so if we're making assumptions on, on a lady's haircut from one frame to another, um, we can sure sure as heck uh, pick out what's going on in, in the other ones. So uh, I suppose they're only regulating the people who are signed up and um, we'll, we'll see if there's if there's going to be any teeth. But, you know, I remember a big push last year and we're almost there again for Halloween that, you know, everybody's got to be regulated. Everybody's got to be in the market. That's a drop dead date. And, and um, it hasn't been for, for a couple. So, yeah, I, I guess we'll see, right? Um, but, but I think we've talked about it before. Before you're going after the people who are being compliant and doing everything you can or everything they can to stay within your standards, let's, um, let, let's, let's not have the windows closed when we're, uh, when we're paying attention here. Just, I'll throw it out to the, the group. Um, is, there any, like, is there any movement on that? Do you get the sense that part of these new standards could include uh, uh, the regulators clamping down, or you know, the, there is a clamp down on on black market operators in Ontario, and that and that we won't see these ads. Is, is there, have you heard any that there's any bit of progress on that, Nick? No, I I, I haven't, and I and I and I don't. I would be surprised if they comment on this because I think it's a national, I think it's a national issue, not a provincial issue, and I think that's where, I think that's where the the struggle hits. I mean, you know, I wish. Because let's face it, there are three major media companies right now servicing servicing the demographics or the, the industry, right? And I would love for each of them to say, you know what, there's there's money out there from the regulated operators. Maybe we don't need to take the dollars from .NET anymore, but they're not going to do that because it's because they're just not going to. So, yeah, I I, I don't know I don't know how we're gonna I don't know how we're gonna stop this. Because it's, we've been screaming about this, at least maybe we're in an echo chamber, right? Maybe it's just us being angry about it, which it must be. But I, it, it boggles my mind where, where um, you know, the group that got very um, aggressive against the amount of advertising during the NHL playoffs was not open to at least also addressing the fact that black market operators are still advertising, right? Like, I just don't, I, 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 I don't get it. Yeah, I think Carl Subit failed to mention that point when he was sitting in the CBC studio, you know, railing, was, against, yeah. railing against the licensed operators, but nothing to be said about Bodog and the rest of the black market operators. A word from our sponsor. The Gaming News Canada Show is presented by Osler, Hoskin, and Harcourt, LLP. Osler's gaming practice has the insight needed to help clients navigate the complex and evolving landscape 
of the gaming industry. Osler's position as a trusted advisor in the gaming industry has been built over years of service to operators, suppliers, and gaming authorities. Visit osler.com gaming for more information. That's O-S-L-E-R dot com forward slash gaming. Now back to the show. The big story this summer, and I think this story resonates in Canada as well, is obviously the, the ESPN slash pen slash bars to a blockbuster deal that got announced last week. And um, as the three of you know, I'm a I'm a sports media wonk, so obviously I've, I've had great interest in the story. That's, I think that's been reflected in the news newsletter last <laughs> the last week. But I'd, I'd love to give everybody thoughts because you do have you know you do have different backgrounds, and, and the three of you have all touched media. And I'd love to get uh, just your your thoughts and your reaction on, on what was announced last week. And and Chris, we'll start with you. Well, hey, like uh, Dave Portnoy should be doing Dale Carnegie classes is all I can figure. I mean, the man sold his business for $600 million and bought it back for a dollar a few months later. That's, uh, that's pretty good. Um, I would say, and, and I know Amanda has a good take on this, so I don't want to steal from her, but the, the, the reality is, um, you know, Barstool is what it is. They have a huge um, following. Um, a lot of those folks would be gamblers. They'd be young gamblers. Um, if, you know, without having the statistics in front of me. Um, but at the same time, they're still up against Titans uh, in the industry. And they just migrated to a new platform, um, which is slick and, and works well and all these things. But it's certainly not been in the market as long as some of the others. So, you know, it's one thing to have um, a brand, a brand name. But at the end of the day, um, you're going to want to make sure that your functionality is there, that your, you know, your CRM is, is on point, that, that everything that needs to happen, that your affiliate marketing is where it needs to be. So, you know, it, it's, I, I don't know that it's so much a failure of the Barstool brand. Now, listen, all the regulated things aside and, and the, everything they ran up against and, and not really, you know, I, I think it's a smart move. But unless they, they are able to create a better, 360 degree approach with ESPN. Sure, they'll have the same exposure, but but at the end of the day, is is the functionality and the user experience going to be what people want? Amanda. Yeah, I mean, I you know, we've all met people in our past that should never run a publicly traded company, right? And you know, looking at you know Barstool when Penn first acquired it, um, there's no way that that sort of brand, the culture, you know the chaos that they create was ever going to fit. That was like a square peg in a round hole. And we all know when we're running publicly traded companies that also have relationships with regulators in North America, it, that just never seemed like that was going to be a good, comfortable fit. So I think this is just makes sense on the ESPN side. Um, I'm really curious to see what will happen. I mean, that's a really well-known brand name. Um, but like I said, like, that's great. You have a big database. So if I think that's the scores tech platform, that's going to be powering that from what I understand, it's great, but it's not doing anything that some of the other apps aren't already doing. Um, so it's not like they've invented something that no one else has. And also I don't know how you would assume that that database hasn't got customers that have been snapped up by other operators already. So, you know, you've got, it's the same with the Fanatics database. Like, you know, that's great. You've got this big database, but these markets have been open for a while. They didn't just open. So to assume your customers haven't already been snapped up by any of the big operators or the midsize or the smaller operators, I, I, I think that's, you're really crossing your fingers on that side. Right. Nick? 
Yeah, I mean, I got, I have a lot of thoughts here, and I and I and I agree with Chris and Amanda. I mean, I think at the end of the day, um, you know, from a pen perspective, um, and we'll take the barstool acquisition out of that equation. They spent two billion dollars on the score. They need to figure out how to become a five to ten percent plus market share um, operator in the states, or that will be registered as a as a as a failure. Um, now, with what we know in Canada, and I and I'm and I'm and I'm certain, and I know it's also the same in the states. You know, customers do like customers do respond from an iGaming perspective to trust and security. Now, ESPN from a brand perspective, absolutely um, accomplishes that uh, piece to the brand puzzle way more than Barstool does ever will, right? Now, the question to Amanda's point is how many of those users that sit within the ESPN ecosystem um, haven't already uh, downloaded and are playing with FanDuel, DraftKings, MGM, Caesars, what have you? The ESPN user base is also typically older. You talk to a young sports fan now in the U.S., not all of them are as are as focused on ESPN as kind of our generation. Now, ESPN have some incredible personalities that also register trust. So the question is, how much is ESPN going to be pushing their talent to really focus on ESPN bet? Because I think that will be a big differentiator. But I think the, the thing that excites me from a ESPN or that should excite kind of the ESPN pen family is potentially what this older demographic um, can do from a casino perspective. Because we know that iGaming is still where a lot of the money is made. And if this older ESPN demographic um, will will convert more on the casino side, you know, that could absolve them of the fact that there's a lot of young sports bettors that are um, that, that are already using other platforms. Now, from a fanatics perspective, the differentiation there that I that I really like, and I'm not saying this because well, I'm technically not a part of fanatics, but their um, reward platform and what they're able to offer their users from a full 360 degree when it comes to merchandising and trading cards and tickets like and events now like that's a very interesting differentiator than the kind of core media play that ESPN provides and also let's face it Disney has a like, Disney's what 165 billion dollar company so at the end of the day one and a half billion dollars from Penn for ESPN that doesn't really like it does it, it's not really a major factor and from what i understand if pen doesn't achieve a specific market share over the first three years of the deal they could terminate it so at the end of the day are they going to be able to get to a market share that justifies this marketing spend after three years or are they just going to have to term are they going to terminate the deal and then espn is going to be back to the drawing board trying to figure out how to fill in the revenue hole that they're going to that they've forsaken now because they've basically jettisoned all of their other partners. So it's going to be really interesting to see how it plays out, especially because now in the U.S. market, especially, there are two, probably the only two big companies who are coming in who could could take a shot at the top three, Fanatics and ESPN. And it's going to be really interesting to see how each of them accomplishes um, kind of their market penetration. Amanda, I I want to go back to the next comment about iGaming. And you know, an interesting part, and again, you'll explain that's much better than me, and I don't have an answer here, but the uh, ESPN bet product is not going to include online casino. That, that's uh, Penn is going to develop what they call a Hollywood-themed iGaming app. We, we know right now that uh, 
you know, iGaming is in very few states across the U.S. And, and as Nick mentioned, I mean, online casino generates a lot of revenue for, for operators. So just, just your thoughts on that part of the equation. Yeah, I know there's quite the active lobby in the states to try and get iCasino to catch up to sports betting. Um, states have been, you know, the ones that have been really happy to pass um, the sports betting legislation have sort of balked at the casino. Um, and I know at least from a kindred point of view, going forward, entry into new states, we really want them to be multi-product states because, you know, as we've talked ad nauseum, the revenue is really on the casino side. The sports is really important to have. Um, but you know, the, the revenue is, is really important on the iCasino side. So, you know, moving that into Ontario, you know, again, as we talked a lot about when the market first opened, that was an immediate differentiator, uh, for Ontario that from the get go, it was as open and inclusive as it could possibly be. We've seen like horse racing, Carly horse racing has just, you know, come into be, um, we had esports from the get go. Uh, DFS was permissible, but the liquidity issue lingers in this province. But, you know, the AGCO did realize that the more they opened up, the less that was going to sort of stay in the in the black market. Um, but I, I really do think that, you know, if they're looking at trying to maximize the amount of potential revenue um, out of a market, you really have to have both sides of it, the sports and the casino. So hopefully more states will uh, will will start getting more comfortable with that and, and, and loosening the regulations to allow casino to come through. Hey, Chris, just one last question. And, and Nick, you may want to weigh in on this too, but just on the, on the media side, I mean, Barstool and ESPN, obviously very, very different uh, media brands. And to Nick's point, I mean, you know, can you have Adam Schefter kind of leaning into betting at all? And, and, you know, is there, talking about integrity issues. And we saw that happen with uh, uh, Sharms uh, Sharani on the N NBA draft last month. Um, I'm trying to remember now what, I think it was a connection maybe with, uh, with, with that MGM. Um, but, you know, again, how, how do you see ESPN tapping or, or pen tapping into that ESPN, not the brand, but more the media enterprise? I think the draft is a very specific area where maybe insiders could get themselves into trouble. I don't think there's any information that Adam Schefter or whomever else reports um, when it comes to, you know, a Sunday football game that's not probably at least into the betting market at some point, right? So I think the draft is, is a specific example of that and, and maybe companies want to be careful of that going forward. Um, I think we've also seen that just blasting betting into your regular broadcast isn't necessarily working. For, for anybody, really. I mean, um, you know, we saw with the NHL here in Canada, you know, Foxbet and all these, uh, you know, um, attempts that have already happened in the U.S. So there is a way to do it. I think it should be done as an educational piece. I always kick and stomp when, when our guys are chatting about it. Like, uh, hey, if we're going to talk about betting, let's analyze the game and let's say, hey, and if you think this might happen, here's a way to, here's a way to approach it. Well, um, I think, oh, sorry, Chris. Yeah, so no, just, I just let me let me uh, say one last thing, Nick, and, and then I'll let you take it over. I think one of the things that ESPN has going for it is it has multiple channels. I think there's a, an opportunity to lean into the betting broadcast. And I think Barstool tried to do this a little bit. They just never had really the reach of, of distribution with sports. 
But I think that's the way that that we should see this go is, you know, just like you have the Peyton and Eli, well, you have the whomever watching and, and talking from a betting angle. And ESPN has the ability to do that. They have the camera angles. They have the studios. So if I was them, I'd, I'd certainly be looking to go down that route. And that way I'm captivating my betting audience. I'm going to have a little bit of it mixed into the main broadcast, um, but that's how I'm going to go about it. Yeah, I think, Chris, I, Chris, I, I, I think you nailed you nailed one aspect, which I think that we saw the Manning cast as your example. Now, people have always talked about betting, you know, bet casts, right? I think ESPN with their talent could most likely uh, kind of unlock how that really looks and feels and plays. But I think that when it comes to ESPN, what I find really interesting is the, uh, is, you know, it, it's less about ESPN and broadcast integrations and all that. And I, but I think it's more about, and I, and I touched on this earlier, kind of the trust and the love that a lot of their personalities bring to the table. I mean, ironically, Matt, Pat McAfee, who Barstool launched, is now over at ESPN. Now, Pat is, you know, McAfee has been proven he drove some really good kind of engagement around, around sports betting. Um, but then it's the question of guys like Stephen A. Smith, right? He's got the biggest show every day. You know, and even a guy like Scott Van Pelt. I mean, ultimately, he is so trusted, like, and these guys are gamblers to a certain degree. Actually, I, I don't know if Stephen A. Smith's a gambler, but him talking about gambling, I know what this Van Pelt is, but, you know, if they're able to unlock genuine, authentic gambling talk from literally the most trusted sports personalities in the U.S., that carries, I think that will carry a lot of weight if they're able to do it in a genuine way um, that speaks to what Chris was talking about. It's not just forcing it into you know, sports center segments or 60 seconds before pregame. It's actually doing it in a genuine way, you know? Yeah. And I think the, the, the genuine is important to the people who already bet. And then I think on your main broadcast, you can do an educational piece, but it can't be rammed down your throat. Like I think there's a way to educate the casual fan who maybe doesn't bet yet. And then you can also have uh, something a little more targeted right now. What we've run into, at least through the first year I, I felt with the NHL broadcast was it was rammed down your throat. My dad doesn't want to see a, a two-minute segment on betting before the game starts, right? He doesn't care. But um, me, as a as an educated gambler, also don't doesn't want to see that two minutes because I'm like, well, I, I'm not buying it. So I think there there should be different uh, tiers of of what you're offering your fan. Hey, I want to quickly go around the horn before we move on, and that's uh, you know I did some spitballing in the newsletter last week when they announced this deal and. You know, just asked a few people and, and brought up the concept of can, can we see a, a Sportsnet bet or a, a TSN bet? And, and um, you know, just go quickly around the horn. Amanda, do you see the networks at some point following ESPN's path here? Sure, start with me. Um, like, do I think they'd like to? Absolutely. I think if you go off in the first year of the regulated market, I still think there's a lot of learning for them to do before they they dip their toes into anything like this. And also, you know, not to be broken record, but what makes them think they'd offer anything that's not currently in the market? What makes them think that they would have access to customers that are currently not being already really well served by the other operators in this market? So I don't know. You know, I think any revenue stream, if you're a broadcaster in this country, is a welcome idea. Really not sure if, if this would necessarily be the way to go. Next. Well, 
both of those broadcasters are probably are probably two of the most regulated, highly regulated and licensed entities in this country because they it's not like ESPN owned by Disney. These are telcos, right? So the question goes back to some of the stuff that we've been talking about. How in God's name would they be able to deal with gray market sports betting across the country, right? Like in the U.S., there is no gray market. So ESPN, there's no real kind of concerns there because in states where there's no legal sports betting, it is literally black. It is illegal um, from an opera. Anyway, so I, I, I would be extraordinarily shocked if anything occurs in this country around Rogers or Bell until... Um, until either the entire country is regulated or um, something happens federally that literally blocks or that basically changes the criminal code and gray market sports betting is completely banned. Because I, oh, I can't even imagine the complicated conversations involving both of those operators in the market. Man, oh, man. Uh, last word to you on this one, Chris. Well, I mean, I, I would combine what, what Nick and Amanda both said. So one, it would be very difficult as national organizations who are, are very much tied to governments and, and regulatory bodies. The other thing, if you're just looking at a, a regulated space as it exists right now in Ontario, um, if I was them and I was going to do that, you know, other things aside, I'd be waiting for some serious consolidation first because to Amanda's point, there's, there's sure there's room. They're going to accept whoever applies, I guess, but um, you know, market share is, is very, very hard to come by. So unless you have, you know, something revolutionary, um, which I, I'm not, I'm not exactly sure that they would. I mean, every supplier in the world is is pretty much here, and all the proprietary is pretty much here. So let's, if I'm them, I'm waiting to see who wins out a little bit, and maybe there's maybe there's some space, um, you know, a few years down the road. Um, I want to go back to Nick's uh, Nick's comment about uh, regulating. Uh, gambling outside beyond Ontario. And, and again, I, I know, uh, I know this is a, a guessing game and, and throwing darts at the wall, but again, it's a, it's an important topic in this industry across Canada. And it doesn't feel like there's been any movement this summer. We know that, uh, Danielle Smith was, uh, you know, elected in Alberta and there's a feeling from people I talked to in the industry that, 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 uh, the Smith government is open to replicating the Ontario model for, for Alberta, but no sense of timing around that. Uh, it, it appears that the, you know, the province with, with some pushing, I guess, from Laudo, Quebec, that, uh, you know, there, there doesn't seem to be any movement in Quebec and, and I haven't heard a whole lot of, for, out of BC this summer, but I'll, you know, I'll just ask and Chris, I'll start with you. Like, are you hearing anything at all about, uh, about, taking the Ontario model or, or a facsimile of that into other provinces? Uh, I've heard the same as you, Steve, but at this point, I'll, I'll believe it when I see it. Um, yeah, there's, you know, my only comment would be if there does come a time when they adopt the, the, the Ontario model, say in Alberta, I would hope that then the governments could work out, you know, the regulated governments could work out a liquidity piece because, um, it would be nice to be able to have, you know, regulated markets and unregulated markets that we could work through. If not, you're looking as an operator, you're looking at setting up a whole another country, for example, uh, or a whole other state. So, um, you know, that, that would be my, my hope that we could, that we could share resources across, but um, in terms of when or how or whom, I got nothing for you. Nick? No, just whispers, just, you know, it's summer. I think that, you know, there's only one group that likes summer vacation more than iGaming operators. No, I'm just kidding. Um, 
But uh, yeah, no, I, we haven't, there's, I don't think there's been a lot of movement. I mean, I think there was a lot of positivity around the Canadian gaming summit in Alberta around like that was the hottest rumor around CGS. Everyone was so excited about Alberta and, you know, I, I do believe it's going to happen and I think it's going to happen soon, but define soon, right. In the, in the grand scheme of, of, of iGaming. So um, yeah, there's, I don't, I haven't heard anything concrete, just, just whispers. Yeah, we'll, we'll let you finish this topic, Amanda. Uh, so in terms of concrete, um, we do know that Danielle Smith shuffled a GLC out of finance uh, and over to a different ministry. And we do know that she has instructed the minister, I believe, of Service Canada, uh, Service Alberta, to uh, finish writing Alberta's iGaming regulations. So minister has been put in charge of developing the regulations. That is all we know. Um, the, the prevailing thoughts are um, Alberta can't adopt all of Ontario's regulations full stop because when it comes to regulations, Alberta has to be able to oversee them, to enforce them. So, you know, it could be they, you know, copy a lot of Ontario's, but they really have to write their own regulations. What they may, in fact... Uh, take on uh, in its entirety for the time being is iGaming Ontario because that's the conduct and manage, that's the commercial relationship, that's who's taken the GGR and, you know, remitting to operators. So the thought is, you know, that there'd be an MOU that will at some point in time, it may have been already, and we just don't know, signed um, so that, you know, iGaming Ontario will step in and fulfill, you know, as it does in Ontario, the same role in Alberta, um, but there will be Alberta standards that will kind of get created. So timing, who knows, but we do know that there's a minister who has been directed to get this going. So watch this space is the best I can say. Right. Hey, Nick, uh, we're up against the clock a little bit here, but I do want to get your thoughts on the, the you know, daily fantasy sports conversation that's happening in the U.S. We had Dustin Gauker on the podcast a couple of weeks ago and uh, you know, you were uh, hip deep in that industry for quite a while, the driving force behind Monkey Knife Fight. Can you, can you maybe just explain it again? This is this is an area where I'm still trying to wrap my head around and get a better understanding. But can you just explain to the audience where, uh, you know, what's going on in the U.S. And, and as Amanda, I think, mentioned earlier that uh, Ontario is a bit of a moot point right now because we, we essentially don't have a regulated DFS industry in this province. But just your thoughts and just helping us all understand what's going on here. <laughs> oh boy. Um, I don't think we have enough time fully to digest the thoughts, but put it this way. Um, so in the U S or right now, and in, in, to your point in Ontario, real money, daily fantasy sports is no longer permissible. Uh, season long is pretty much all we have sadly. Um, so, you know, daily, so real money, fantasy sports, um, was carved out um, of U of UEGA, UGA, UIGEA, the Unlawful Internet Enforcement Gaming Act, which was in 2006, which specifically carved out um, fantasy sports from the kind of call it the the, the iGaming shutdown in the U.S. Now, um, back when conventional daily fantasy sports, as we know it, the call it the the FanDuel. Draft Street before it became DraftKings um, took the, the the carve out and uh, um, uh, and, and invented it and, and reinterpreted 
those regs to build and innovate um, a new category of fantasy. Now, what occurred, call it three, four years ago, um, was we the, the the industry innovated once again, and we looked at the 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 the, the rules, the regulations through in U, within UGA, and we created and popularized a new style of daily fantasy sports um, that allowed for uh, you know single player games. And, um, you know, I won't get into the specific um, carve out elements, but absolutely legal, uh, an ab- totally a game of skill, you know, candidly, um, you know, in, in daily fantasy sports, um, a very uh, small percentage of the users win in a, a, a mass percentage of the money. I will say that's the same in conventional fantasy sports and or daily fantasy sports and the same in single player fantasy sports. It is a game of skill. There's lots of game of skill analyses that have been created. Now there are a number of other, there are a number of daily fantasy sports companies right now who are pushing that innovation even further. And there are, there have been a lot of, there's been some pushback from folks in the industry like Dustin, uh, Dustin, uh, who has, uh, in candidly, he was, a he, he was a critic of monkey knife fight back in the day. Um, and, you know, I think that there's that there's a bit of a um, a dialogue now within the industry that um, is really shining a light on um, the 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 game of skill conversation as it relates to daily fantasy sports as a whole. Right. As as sports betting is starting to become more and more prominent across the U.S. So that's kind of a very high level look at it. And, you know, Steve, if anybody, if any in the audience wants to reach out and have a chat about it. Um, they, they know where to find me on, you know, LinkedIn, Twitter, what have you. I'm happy to, to provide my, my color as being the, uh, the, the co-founder of, of monkey night fight, which didn't invent this type of gaming, but I think definitely was, you know, we played a role in popularizing it, put it that way. Uh, great. Any last, Chris, any last thoughts on, on this topic before we wrap up? I mean, Nick's, Nick's the, the foremost expert here amongst our group. So I tell you, from a personal point of view, I would love to have Daily Fantasy to play. It used to be my favorite thing to do on Sunday. Um, so here's hoping we can get something going in Ontario anyway sooner than later. Amanda? So I thought I heard Doug Downey say at the summit that the liquidity uh, issue conundrum, big problem, because if you're poker or your Daily Fantasy sports, you need liquidity for this to work. Um, I thought I heard him say that this was the next thing they were going to pick up. Uh, so I think when uh, we come back from Labor Day, even though it's still summer for three more weeks, still is, um, I think um, we need to uh, talk to Paul Burns, talk to a few people, and just see if we can start pushing that again. Because, you know, the, the sorry, one last thing. The idea that was floated is forget the rest of our cranky provinces who are still looking kind of down their noses at what we're doing in Ontario. Ignore them and, you know, just sign MOUs with international places, international jurisdictions, you know, with any of the U.S. jurisdictions, just any other jurisdiction that offers a a regulatory regime. Just, you know, allow that liquidity to flow back and forth through an MOU that they sign with Ontario. But anyway, we just need our attorney general to pick that up. Uh, Amanda Brewer is the Canadian country manager for Kindred Group. Uh, Chris Abbott is the Canadian Country Manager for Kazen Gaming, and Nick Solsky is the Chief Commercial Officer for Points Bet Canada. Uh, it's great to get 
the three of you back together again. Uh, always come out of these conversations a lot, uh, a lot smarter and uh, a little bit wiser. And it's just, uh, it's just really just nice to uh, to catch up with the three of you. So thank you, uh, Amanda, Chris, and Nick for for setting some setting aside some time before the weekend to be with us. Uh, you can find this podcast at GamingNewsCanada.ca, and it's also available on the various and sundry pod platforms. Uh, thanks again for everybody for listening. We look forward to being with you again next week. Thank you for listening to the Gaming News Canada show. Sign up for our newsletter at GamingNewsCanada.ca. Follow Steve McAllister on LinkedIn. Message Steve if you're interested in being a sponsor or featured guest.